live across Australia on SEN Track. Giddy up with Gareth Hall. Josh Jenkins in the chair today and tomorrow, and then G Hall resumes for 2024, or he kickstarts 2024, and he tells me he's got a big, big year of Giddy Up lined up. All the biggest guests, all the biggest names, all the best tips. So he tells me they won't be his. But let's get to our next guest because he has had so much success on the racetrack of uh, recent times. He's had horses like Keats, who just continues to go around, continues to run well, and continues to put prize money in the pockets of his connections. But Gavin Bedgegood is much more than just the trainer of Keats. He is uh, on the way to becoming a household name, that is for sure and for certain. And he's been good enough to join us here on Getty Up. Gavin, good morning. Yeah, good morning, guys. Uh, how are you finding How are you finding the uh, workload just at the moment? You've got plenty of horses going around uh, across the weekend, so uh, it's nice and busy. You've got um, horses, you know, across the next few days at uh, various different tracks. So how are you going keeping up with, with it all? Um, yeah, look, we uh, we only work a stable of 30, so it's just a comfortable number. Um, yeah, look, we sort of uh, get by no worries. Is that a number that you, you wish to, to stick to? Would you like to increase uh, your numbers? Of course, you've got to have boxes to put your horses in, but would you, would you like to train more? Is 30 the number? 50, 60? Where would you like to be ideally? Uh, somewhere between that sort of 30 to 35 is a good number when I get above 40. Um, yeah, I'm very hands-on and uh, trying to do a fair bit myself and um, I'm probably not much of a delegator either and... Uh, yeah, I probably don't do that well under the pressure with having too many. So, yeah, 30 to 35 is a good number for our stable. Well, um, do you think that's a reason why why you, you have had some some success and you probably get tired of talking about, you know, your success with, with, uh, with tried horses and going horses, but do you think that is the key or one of the major reasons um, why you've had some success with horses that have seemingly stagnated at other stables it's because you're hands-on with them each and every day oh it's probably one of the many reasons it's sort of it's yeah, i suppose another cog in the wheel um i can uh, ride track work myself um i do all my own feeds and that sort of thing and i'm there every afternoon unless we've got runners so i know how my horses are reading and doing in the system and uh um, as I said, very hands-on. So you learn to, you know, each horse individually and uh, you find out their idiosyncrasies and, um, you know, you, you're normally pretty on to it if something's uh, not right with them. Now, we spoke to uh, Geelong track manager James Dalton uh, before 10 o'clock and he was mentioning that, that he'll have to be on his toes to ensure that the Geelong track doesn't dry out too much and, um, I guess in in if it was were to dry out, it probably would advantage horses on speed. So maybe you wouldn't be uh, upset with that because if it's an on speed day, Keats is going to be mighty hard to run down in that Coastal Classic for three hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, hopefully, I think he brings the right form to the race. He's uh, he's been a model of consistency in his four runs, his preparation, and uh, you know I think he, he's. Definitely no moral, but he's uh, he's one of the main dangers here for sure. 
Yeah, he's a very consistent horse. He's one you'd love to have. You picked up Poland, uh, an ex Mike Maroney uh, runner again with the with the the mailbag Bloodstock team. So, what can we expect from Poland? Will you need to just get a look at him a couple of times before you make a, a an assessment on where he needs to go and where he might be able to win, or are you expecting him to perform quite nicely first up for you? Um, I would imagine that he probably. Um will be better suited when he gets out to 1,400, just watching his previous replays. Um, he's had one jump out for us, and I thought um, he tried respectably without being anything um, special. Uh, his gallop Tuesday morning was uh, A1, and he's been out this morning and uh, had a bit of a play around over some jumps, so just trying to change up his routine a little bit. Um, he's a horse that hasn't won for a long time, so I'd probably be more hopeful of a win than confident. Yeah, okay, that's um, that's good to know, but hopefully one that we can uh, follow with interest as his uh, campaign progresses. I mentioned um, your association with the Mailbag Bloodstock team. How did how did that come about, and how do, how do you find that? I know Jack Dickens is a pretty headstrong customer, so uh, how does that relationship uh, come about, and how does it how does it sort of work from from day to day? Because Jack's obviously right up with his form and his and 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 the way. You know, uh, horses and races should pan out. So, how does that sort of relationship uh, roll along for you? Yeah, um, Jack just got in contact with me one day um, just to see if there was anything that sort of uh, was of interest to me on the tried horse sales. And um, we came up with a horse called Field of Roses that we purchased. And uh, for the 16 grand we paid for him, I, I think he picked up 100,000 in his first preparation. And um, that's sort of got the ball rolling and we've had good success along the way. And, uh, yeah, look, um, I train the horses and, and probably pick their races. And Jack has, a, we, you know, we put our heads together and uh, try and find a rider that's going to suit each horse and, uh, you know, tactics and that sort of thing. And, and Jack's obviously all over the speed map and that sort of thing. So I think we work well together. No, nah, no doubt about it. I think the, the proof's in the pudding with horses, that you've you've had together with with Keats and and a few others. You mentioned Field of Roses, who who was very consistent. So um, yeah, I think no doubt that the proof is in the pudding. Let's talk um, yearlings because it's that time of year where I guess people are are uh, trying to find a, a big checkbook to get involved in the in the yearling space. Now um, you've probably um, I guess been unfairly pigeonholed as someone who who really goes well with the the tried horses, but I'd imagine you'd be super keen to to strut your stuff and, and get a few young horses, you know, in the, in the stable each and every year so that you can potentially find that next, you know, superstar. Yeah, for sure. Look, I'm a, I'm a realist. I know what I can afford to buy and what the, the clientele that I train for can afford to be paying for a horse. So you won't see me at the magic millions forking out half a million dollars for, for something, but um, you know, we will, uh, poke around the fringe and we'll be at the Ingalls premier sale and um, we'll probably head down to Tassie and Adelaide and those sorts of sales and uh, look for the next bargain. Like a uh, couple of other runners we've got on Saturday, Rose Dior, she was sort of the first yearling we purchased and we've been able to win a couple with her and Spring Eagle was the following year and he was able to win a two-year-old race for us last year. So um, hopefully there might be another one of them that's sort of, they were only sort of twenty and $30,000 purchases. So um, yeah, just because you've paid big money for them doesn't guarantee success. No, certainly not. Certainly not. In fact, it uh, makes the risk versus reward even greater. When you 
when you're looking for these, you know, these cheaper yearlings and you're going to these different sales, um, have you, how do you, how do you go about it? Have you, are you looking for that? Are you looking to be ahead of the game in terms of a, of a stallion prospect or are you looking for, you're looking at sort of, um, you know, dams who have, who've had a, a couple of good ones, but a couple of horses who haven't made it. How do you sort of attack that so that you, you are finding some horses who, who are a, a lot more affordable to buy as yearlings? Um, I'd probably like to go to the sales and buy horses more on type than, uh, than pedigree. Um, I think that's a, an important thing. And, um, quite often you'll see a relation that you've had something to do with along the way, like a, a Rose Dior. Um, she had a sister that Robbie Lang trained when we were there that was able to win three or four in town. So that was the attraction to that horse. And, um, Spring Eagle, he was an exceptional type and probably would have been the sale topper in Tasmania, but he had a a tiny blemish on an x-ray that my vet wasn't too concerned by. Um, so we were the lucky recipients of a horse like him. But, um, yeah, look, I, I like to go to the sales and probably buy more than a, a type than uh, than what their pedigree might be. So clearly we spoke to Chris Lees earlier and he said, you know, he's got a short, short attention span. So he doesn't sort of look at, you know, endless amount of, of yearlings, but he, he trusts other people to, to, to have their hands on them and to look at them and to form opinions. But it sounds like you're one who is probably less about the sales book and more about going and seeing these young horses and, and putting your hands on them. Yeah, for sure. I sort of know the horses that you you, you want to buy. And um, at the end of the day, you've got to be looking at that horse for the next three, four, five years. Um if it's successful and uh, you want to buy a horse that you like rather than uh, something that you can afford to. So um, there's plenty of mitigating factors, I suppose. Absolutely. There is uh, there. You've got a, as I said, you've got runners um, a plenty over the next few days. Your uh, best chance across the, across the next few days. I mean, Keats is always a horse who, who runs well and, and gives a sight and looks the winner for a long, long way. Would he be your best across the, the next two or three days? Uh, he probably would, but I look like a genius or a mug here. We've got a horse called Spring Eagle in on Saturday, and um, I think he's got a lot of ability. He was probably unlucky not to win at Flemington last campaign, and he's trolled up very well leading into Saturday's race, and uh, he's definitely worth a couple of shekels each way at a ridiculous odds. Yeah, he's a big price. He was, uh, see, he's about 80s in the 40s, so... Um, hopefully uh, a few of the connections have had a dollar on already, the uh, the son of uh, Alpine Eagle. So, yeah, good luck with Spring Eagle. We like that. And, Gav, uh, good luck this weekend, particularly with Keats in that rich Coastal Classic. Uh, we appreciate your time, and uh, hopefully you can pick up a, a nice cheap yearling or two along the way, and it can be your next superstar. Thanks very much, guys. There's Gavin Bedgegood. Uh, the trainer of Keats, and uh, he did mention there. Now, I did sort of think oh, I've led him too much down the path of uh, of Keats because when you're asking trainers for for their best chance, and uh, you sort of need need to leave it open ended so they don't just uh, pick the one you've mentioned. But uh, he did offer up Spring Eagle, so that's race five, number thirteen, Spring Eagle, uh, about forty or fifty to one, if you don't mind. So uh, resumes here and uh, as he mentioned uh, one of their yearling purchases that uh, Team Bedgegood were were able to purchase uh, I reckon from the Tasmanian sales I'm going to say 
and uh, he has been able to win a race at sale on debut and then has raced in town against some pretty good horses. Um, yes, has raced in town at its past three before going for a spell. So Spring Eagle there at a big price, race five, number 13. Hopefully it's lucky, number 13, for us. Time for a break. That was Gavin Bedgegood. Now it's time to get stuck into the bag of tips on the other side of this. Mick Gannon, Andrew O'Toole, Mitchie Laws, Darren Carroll, and Toddy Gray.